North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's getting $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the kickoff segment of Dr. Low Radio. I am your host, Dr. Lauren Noel. I'm a licensed naturopathic physician, and I practice right here in beautiful San Diego. And today it was definitely one of those beautiful days. It's hard to believe it's winter. I took a hike today with my girlfriend Evelyn down at Torrey Pines, and it was awesome. I am so excited to be hosting this show. So many people are suffering from real health conditions, and they don't know about the options that they have. Their doctors and and the Internet is really all they see as their only options, and oftentimes it it has very conflicting um, information. And the reality is there are hundreds of thousands of doctors practicing safe, effective, natural medicine, and my goal with this show is to bring them to you. So many Americans are suffering. So many wake up more tired than when they went to sleep, are doing all the things their doctors tell them to do and still don't feel well. And as a naturopathic doctor, my job is to find the hidden underlying causes of disease and address those while I support the whole person. So today we're going to be taking, talking about some simple solutions, some natural solutions for something that pretty much all of us deal with is the cold and flu for the today's, today's topic. We'll be discussing how you can shorten your downtime when you get struck with the common cold, how you can use your kitchen as your doctor's office, And we'll be talking about common myths. We'll discuss the flu shot, should you break a fever or should you support a fever when you're sick, and we'll be taking your live calls. Joining us today is fellow naturopathic doctor and master herbalist, Dr. Deborah Francis. Dr. Francis is a very successful doctor in Portland, Oregon, as well as faculty at the National College of Natural Medicine, the oldest naturopathic medical school in North America. I had the honor of being supervised by Dr. Francis on, on the clinical rounds, and I have to say it was probably one of my favorite shifts at the school. Um, she just really brings this, this beautiful, um, genuine energy to her shifts, and she was the kind of doctor that it was like, you know, it's Portland, Oregon, it's raining, and it's, you know, we get a sunny day, and she's like, let's go outside and, and you know, walk around the, the herb garden and talk about plants and learn about the medicinal uses, and I just thought that was so awesome. And her patients absolutely love her. They see the the um, the intensity that she has with her practice. She absolutely loves what she does, and it just is very, very obvious um, watching her practice and, and just seeing her heart when she's with her patients. Um, her bio, Dr. Deborah Francis, brings over 40 years of experience to her practice of naturopathic medicine. She started out as a registered nurse where she worked in the ICU in gynecology, family practice, and psychiatry before returning to medical school to obtain her degree in naturopathic medicine. After graduating from the National College of of Natural Medicine in Portland in 1993, she moved to Southern Oregon where she ran a full family practice until 2008 and then relocated back to NCNM to teach. And now she is um, on, on faculty there in classes as well as the clinic. She's a popular lecturer at conferences across the country. Her writings have been published in several professional journals, including the Journal of Naturopathic Medicine and the Journal of the American Herbalist Guild. Check out her website, dancingcrow.net, and you can uh, learn about different recordings that she has of a whole host of different conditions, from fertility to chronic fatigue syndrome and many, many more. 
Um, some announcements. Next week's guest is Dr. Ron Hoffman, same time, same day. He's a medical doctor um, in New York who's a lecturer, a radio show guest, or excuse me, radio show host, I should say, and also the author of How to Talk to Your Doctor. And then the following week after that is Dr. Carrie Jones, also a naturopathic doctor, and she specializes in women's health. We will be discussing uh, natural treatments for fertility and sex drive, so definitely check that out. Uh, for for call-in numbers, if you'd like to ask a question, the number is 818-495-6919. Let me go ahead and bring on Dr. Francis on the air. Dr. Francis, are you there? I'm here. Hi, Lauren. Hi. So good to have you on the show. Thank you for coming on. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Um, so I know you, and but for the listeners, tell us a little bit about who you are and how you came to become Dr. Francis. Oh, well, I think you did a pretty good in-depth description. <laughs> well, like you said, I started out as a nurse, and uh, actually the way I became a naturopath was I kept I kept looking around going, oh, my gosh, there must be something better. And it isn't that uh, conventional medicine doesn't do a lot of good for people because there was a time and a place for everything, but I remember seeing patients that were like still had their chronic conditions and now were being hospitalized for really serious side effects, like one woman who had a you know, serious inflammatory disease who was still had the inflammatory disease and now she had osteoporosis with two fractured uh, thoracic vertebrae and um, from the from the steroids that she'd been taking for years. So I just kept thinking, oh, my gosh, there must be something better. And then I met this guy who's called a naturopath, and I thought, well, I think I'm going to go and see him and see what happens. And anyway, the rest is history. <laughs> it was a pretty yeah. amazing experience, and so here I am. I bet. I bet the difference between those two experiences is pretty big. It was pretty big. And this yeah. medicine is, the thing about naturopathic medicine is that I think a lot of people don't realize is that um, it's very powerful. We have a lot of modalities that are very, very powerful, and a lot of times we're helping people that couldn't be helped by, you know, standard medical care. And another thing that people often think is that, well, when you do natural stuff, it's slower. And that's not necessarily true either. Certainly in acute conditions, I've seen people, you know, get better, like, before they even leave the office, they're starting to feel better. So I remember one woman who came in with a really bad bladder infection. She looked really sick. And I went in and got a homeopathic medicine and gave it to her, and then I sat and started asking her some more questions. And ten minutes into the interview, she's saying to me, is it possible? Could it work this fast? And she was much better by the time she left. So, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. So what what made you fall in love with plants? Because you really have a you know a very expertise in in botanical medicine. What got you into that specifically? You know, I think the fact that they uh, they're living beings. You know, it's uh, there's something vibrant and incredible about them, mm-hmm. and uh, they and they have special energies. You know, they. You, they're just amazing. Just when you walk through a forest, the way you feel, there's just this healing that happens when you're around them, and that's kind of addicting, I guess. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I kind of fell in love with nature living up in Portland. I'm like, I'm really getting in touch with my inner hippie. This is awesome. You know, I was raised in L.A., and I <laughs> moved up there, and I'm like, I'm a total hippie chick. This is crazy. But I am, and it's. I'm really lucky to have that experience. Um, well, cool. I'm so glad you're on the show. Let's Let's start out by just, um, talking about some myths that people have when it comes to being sick, as we're talking about the cold and the flu today. Um, first off, I hate this one. It's when someone's saying, I'm sick, I'm drinking tons and tons of orange juice. What's up with that? 
Well, the reason people do that is because orange juice, oranges have vitamin C in them, and people are thinking that's the best way to get vitamin C. But mm-hmm. actually, the problem with that, I mean, it's great to get tons and tons of fluids, and maybe if you drink like a quarter of a quarter of the glass orange juice and the rest water, you might get away with it. But um, the trouble is that it's really, really high in sugar, and sugar is really hard on the immune system, and so it often kind of works at cross-purposes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't think people realize that sugar, it actually inhibits the white blood cells, and that's what is necessary to feel better from your cold or your flu. So it's like you're kind of beating yourself down when it's when you're already depleted. So Yeah, very, trying to get the vitamin C. and Yeah. Next, yeah. Uh, next thing is that a fever. Um, it's just so feared, especially by parents, their child having a fever. And, you know, as soon as someone gets a fever, they want to pop some Tylenol or, um, you know, just something to cut their fever. What What's going on with that? And... Um, what, what's the way that you view the fever? I don't know where that fear from, of fever came from. I think originally, you know, aspirin was the first anti-fever drug, you know, of in the pharmaceutical industry that I'm aware of. And I think when it came on board, people were just like, oh, my gosh, we don't have to put up with this fever. And then somehow we got a fear of fever. And uh, it's kind of crazy. I know when I was growing up that we had aspirin around, but, you know, my mother, if you got a fever, she'd just, bundle us up in tons of blankets and feed us a lot of fluids and wait till we sweat it out. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the old way of doing it. So, But in actuality, there are lots of studies that show that if you let a fever be, that oftentimes you will get better faster. That, you know, a cold will, like, whatever's going on, you'll get better faster. And, of course, there are other studies that show that, you know, that uh, just the increased temperature makes it harder for bacteria and viruses to thrive. So just the increased temperature alone uh, kills off the microbes. And then, you know, the other thing that the increased temperature does and that the fever does is that the immune system, in so many different ways, is hugely mobilized. The white blood cells, like everything, the metabolism increase, the white blood cells are faster and more effective and they're, you know, they're running around able to do their job better. And there are all kinds of different, I can't even remember them all, even though I teach it, I always have to go over my notes again. There's so many different aspects of the immune system that are um, triggered by a fever. It's A fever mm-hmm. is really a good friend. The thing about a fever is that, you know, if a fever is prolonged or too high, like if somebody has a fever, like once it gets to 103 or something, you know, I'll start to watch it. I don't want somebody to hang out there for a really long time. But a fever of 102 to 103 is oftentimes where the best work is happening. Mm-hmm. So if we can kind of leave that be, we're fine. If the fever goes on and it's really prolonged, then um, the problem is that people can get dehydrated or exhausted from the fever. Mm-hmm. This is more true of elderly people or really immune-compromised people or infants. Infants dehydrate very easily. Mm-hmm. And so and infants also throw these enormously high fevers and scare everybody. But, mm-hmm. you know, they usually come out of them quite quickly. So we just usually with infants we just watch for dehydration. I saw an article today in the, the New York Times, and they were talking about there were researchers out of the University of Colorado, and they were saying just how incredibly important the fever is. And these, you know, conventionally trained medical doctors, and they were saying that parents, they, they really fear that if their child gets a fever that their brain could melt. You know, they have this, mm-hmm. this fear that there's serious neurological effects. And they, in this article, they were saying, in fact, the fever does not harm the body or, or the brain, though it, you know, it does, like you're saying, increase the need for fluids. But, you know, even untreated, fevers rarely rise higher than 104 or 105. And, you know. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And that's the thing is that the body has normal triggering mechanisms. So if it goes up to 104 or something, you know, you just kind of watch it. And uh, and there are ways to modulate, of course, as you know, with homeopathics and various things. But mm-hmm. I don't I don't usually worry about it too much because well, the body see. has like a with the hypothalamus in the brain. When the temperature gets too high, the body has a feedback system in which it'll bring it back down again. So right, right. And what what about for patients who want to, or excuse me, for parents who want to um, support the fever in their child, but um, but they're afraid it's getting a little bit too high. What's something that they can do that that they can you know lower it possibly rather than actually breaking the fever? Well, unless the fever's been prolonged or it's starting to get up around 103 or 104 or something, mm-hmm. I usually don't do much of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes, you know, little kids will wake up. Usually they're fine and they always wake up at like 3 or 4 in the morning or they'll get their fever at 4.30 on a Friday afternoon just when you think you're going to go away for the weekend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's Friday. But they'll yeah. often wake the parents at 3 or 4 and then they're crying and they're really miserable and that sort of thing. And so I will teach my patients to um, have some homeopathic belladonna on hand mm-hmm. and that will usually help to bring down the fever without suppressing it. It actually helps the body to heal faster and mobilizes the immune system. And uh, and that's an example of, like, we get really rapid results sometimes, but we don't, uh, you know, we're not suppressing something. We're, the body, we're actually helping the body to heal faster. Mm-hmm. The other thing that uh, sometimes that I'll have people do is just you can do sponging, which is another thing my mom used to do. And, um, you know, if fevers get up around 104 or something, I'll sometimes say, you know, you can go ahead and just kind of sponge that baby or, you know, with some warm water. And we used to use isopropyl alcohol, which is actually cools a little too fast, and then plus you have to breathe the fumes of isopropyl alcohol. So these days people recommend, like, just tepid, like just a tepid uh, sort of bathing with a washcloth or something. Mm. Okay, great. Now, how about when a person starts to start to notice the very early signs of, of getting a cold? You know, they're starting to feel kind of achy, maybe a little bit of a headache. What are some things you can recommend right off the bat that they can do to maybe stop it in its tracks if possible? Oh, boy, I think the very best thing is to do a really good sweat because a lot of times these mucus discharge illnesses like colds and flu are an attempt by the body to detox and throw off some toxins. So, uh, and the other thing that a really good sweat does is it increases the body temperature. So you're kind of giving yourself an artificial fever, which makes the virus go, ugh, this isn't such a friendly environment after all. I think I'm going to split. So, uh, and it helps the, uh, you know, white blood cells and what have you, the immune system to mobilize better as well. And uh, one of the ways that I, people can go to a sauna or a steam is even better because then you're breathing in that, uh, the moisture, which is really good for your mucous membranes of your nose and your lungs throat and what have you. But sometimes one of the things I'll often do is have people just draw a hot bath with Epsom salts if they have it, have a bunch of sweat clothes, sweatshirt and some wool socks or, you know, really warm sweat clothes next to the tub. And then, uh, and and before I have them draw the bath, I have them put a sheet on the floor on the rug, not on your bed because you're really sweating and the bed's soaked, but on the rug, put a sheet and a pillow and a whole bunch of blankets, hot water bottle for your feet if you've got it, and then you get in that tub and you sit there until you're so hot that you think you just can hardly stand it and then stay there a little <laughs> bit longer. I've done that. <laughs> it's pretty brutal. But, you know, I did that for the first time when I was uh, shadowing a naturopathic doctor back before I went to, to school. Um, 
you know, I asked him, what do I do when I when I get sick? And he he told me that exact same thing. And I tried it for the first time, and I, I definitely wanted to cuss him out because I hated it. But the, the morning <laughs> came around, and my fever was gone, and I felt amazing. I had just complete vibrant energy, and it was really incredible. Whereas before, you know, I would take NyQuil and Theraflu and be sick for like a week or two weeks, and it just seemed so hard to just kick the sickness. It was just, it was interesting how, how quick it actually happened. It's really well, cool. Well, yeah, there there are studies, too, that show that uh, the decongestants and all those things that block the discharge, the people who take those things are sick longer. And those mm-hmm. are, you know, conventional medical studies. Yeah. So there That's you cool go. stuff. Yeah. I love that. It's just the simplest things can be so effective, you know? Um, yeah. What, a, what about for a patient who they have a cold but it just won't seem to clear up? They just say they've been sick for such a long time. What are some things they can they can try or think about? Well, another thing I recommend right at the outset and at any time during a cold or flu is mm-hmm. something people can do really simply at home, which is make some uh, hot lemonade, basically. Mm-hmm. And you just boil some water and as much lemon as tastes good to you and tons of garlic and then a bit of cayenne or ginger. And then if you if, if it's a person who tolerates sugars okay, they can add a bit of honey to it and just drink that. And that is very powerful. Garlic is really amazing. Hmm. And that's so great. garlic is one of the main things I do. And then, um, so that's one of the main things I do. And rest is the other thing. Lots of vitamin C, zinc. Sometimes zinc lozenges can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. And there, the other thing is herbs. There's, I mean, probably my favorite herb for cold and flu is elderberry, hmm. garlic and elderberry. So, how would a patient take the elderberry? What would be the best way? Well, you can get it in capsules, or you can get it in tincture, or you can get it in syrups, and uh, the doses are going to vary according to the strength. But mm-hmm. it, um, you know, like a tincture, you could do 15 to 30 drops every couple of hours, probably 30 drops every couple of hours, even 60 drops every couple of hours. And, uh, yeah, and the syrup, sometimes it, it varies on what else is in there, like, you know, um, maybe a teaspoon every four hours or something like that. Hmm. And then okay. stopping dairy. Whenever uh, whenever people have a mucus discharge, they should be, not be doing any milk products. I was going to ask when, you that. <laughs> you beat me to it. Yeah. When colds and flu go on and on, sometimes it has to do with people eating their allergens. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. People don't realize that their their sinuses are lined in mucous membranes just like their gut is. So if a person has, you know, food intolerances in their gut, their sinuses can, can be reacting to that, which can be a common cause of sinus infections chronically. People don't make that connection yeah. a lot of times. Um, yeah. Now, do you recommend for, for raw milk as well? Do you make the same distinction for raw milk? I do, yeah. yeah. Even though raw milk is a completely different food, I think people are cross-reacting a lot, and we're seeing a lot of dairy sensitivity. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like it doesn't hurt to go off dairy for a few days. Sure, and, yeah. And, you know, it's so many people are aggravated with, uh, even if they're not sensitive to dairy, a lot of times their colds and flu will be aggravated by it, but it's just not worth it. Mm-hmm. Just, now, at know, what point, because, you know, I'm all about treating the self and really understanding you know, the body's clues and being able to have that, you know, doctor's office in the kitchen and the medicine cabinet and everything. And um, But there are times when a patient needs to see a doctor. When when would you recommend that that they need to go and actually see a doctor? Well, if they're really not kicking it and it's dragging mm-hmm. them down and, uh, you know, sometimes or, you know, if the fever is going on and on or they're just really sick with it or they're just not kicking it, then, you know, to come and see a good naturopathic doctor, there's lots of tricks that we can do. And a lot of times then I'll be looking at um, 
a homeopathic remedy that's not so easy to self-prescribe, or I may put together a formula of herbs that really fits that specific person and help them to kind of jump out of it. There are a lot of herbs that um, really help mucous membranes. And actually one thing that I often do for people if it's a sinus thing is I just have them do a tincture of horseradish and, Mm. uh, you know, and just put the horseradish directly on their tongue and that helps things to discharge more. It helps block ears to unblock and you put it directly on the tongue so you get that kind of horseradish effect, you know. Yeah, it's like having too much wasabi at sushi. Yeah, yeah, lots of wasabi. (laughs) You could go to the Japanese place and get lots of wasabi Mm -hmm. do the same thing. Yeah. So there might be some more specific things that, you know, if it's going on and on or people are just really sick with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like to see people come in when they have really, when they're really sick with the flu. I like to see them come in pretty early on, or even right at the outset. Mhm. Yeah, absolutely. What about warming socks? Oh, that's fabulous. Anytime there's kind of any kind of head congestion, that really helps to pull that congestion out of the head. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember I had one cold one time, and I kept doing the warming socks, which I'll describe in a second. I kept doing the warming socks every night, and I never, when I woke up in the morning, I didn't have that dull headache that I often would get with a cold from all the stuffiness in my sinuses weren't so stuffed. One night I forgot, and I got into bed, and I was in bed, and it was all cozy and warm, and I thought, oh, I'm not getting up and doing that. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, sure enough, I woke up with a little bit of a headache, and it's just a few, three or four days that I was sick, but the warming socks made a huge difference, pulls that congestion right out of your head. Mm-hmm. And what you do, as you know, Lauren, is that you... uh Make sure the patient is warm, make sure their feet are warm, and then you take some cotton socks and you run them under really cold water and wring them out really well. Sometimes we even stick them in the freezer for a couple minutes if the tap water isn't too cold, And uh, which probably down there in Southern California, you guys need to do up here. We don't have to worry about it so much. But uh, <laughs> we have threatening snow today. So yeah. yeah. Oh, man, I'm glad I'm not there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of sweet. And um, yeah, it's cold, it's brisk. And then you put the uh and then you put the cold socks on the warm feet and then you put uh like wool socks or something, you know, non conductive like wool, like polar fleece or something, socks over them and you go to bed like that. It's actually not as bad as it sounds. And we used to call them cold wet socks, which I think is a good thing to call them, but now it's like, you know, more appropriate to call them warm yeah, socks. Yeah, it's the PC because term. And what actually, yeah, what actually happens is that, you know, the circulation originally is vaso you get vasoconstriction of those vessels in your feet and then the body goes the secondary effect of the cold is vasodilation and the body goes oh my god it's cold down there we better send some circulation down there and so the circulation is drawn out of the head and down to the feet and sometimes that helps work insomnia due to mental congestion as well Mm. and the socks as you know are dry by morning it's actually Mm -hmm. like really cozy oftentimes people sleep better and feel better after doing that I've had some patients where their their feet get so hot, they actually have to take the, the socks off because their feet warm up so so quickly on their own. So Isn't pretty, that amazing? Yeah. yeah. That's a sign of good vitality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I recommend yeah. this treatment to so many friends and family members, and some do it, and the ones that do it really love it, and the other ones are like, I'm not doing that. Heck no, I'm not putting some <laughs> cold socks on my feet. You're crazy. So, it's And I totally get crazy. it, you know. It doesn't sound like the most appealing thing to do, but give it a try. It really, really works. And and even yeah. kids, even kids do this. And, you know, up at NCNM, 
just the naturopathic college that I went to, um, as well as you did, um, you know, there, there's so many mothers up there. It seemed like every other student was getting pregnant because they're all so fertile. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> so there's so around the same time, there's a lot of sick kids. And um, these kids are, like, asking for these wet socks. It's hilarious. They're like, wow. Mommy, can I have the socks? Can I have the socks? Because they notice that it makes them feel a lot better. So it's really wow. cute. Kids can be, can be, yeah, down with this as well. So that's very cool. Um, okay, let's move on to kind of a hot topic, which is um, the flu shot. Mm. Let's hear what you got to say about it. Well, boy, that is a hot topic. Where do you start? I never recommend it, actually. And uh, partly, um, it's not always effective, for one thing. Uh, a significant amount of people talk about it um, actually causing flu, getting the flu afterwards. So just those kinds of simple things. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, and then also we have other things that work as well, if not better, and are much safer. And uh, the other thing is that we are hugely over immunizing in this country. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're in practice long enough and you're open-minded, you see the results of it. I remember uh, I've seen so many cases of so many people who've had vaccine reactions. And um, so getting a yearly vaccine for something like the flu, it just doesn't make any sense, And um, especially because there's so many other things that we can do to prevent flu. Mm-hmm. And um, so one of the things that I do is um, homeopathic influenzinum, which uh, I think it's sold in a lot of health food stores as flu solution. And so you can take that for prevention. And then another thing is at the first sign of flu, I would have my patients, the first year I started doing that, I uh, I had patients, I had, you know, put a sign in my front office and sold it to all my regular patients. And mm-hmm. I told them also that if you feel like you're getting the flu, take an extra dose. And mm-hmm. so it really worked for people. And that this, oftentimes people never even got the flu and then um, – People and if they started to feel like they were getting it, they'd take a dose and it would, they'd never get the flu. And it was so amazingly effective that uh, I had the only flu patients I had that year were new patients, people who wow. were not my patients. That's yeah. amazing. So it's re- I'm convinced about you know those homeopathics. The other thing is one year, and I don't know why I don't do it every year, just plain laziness, I guess. But I remember <laughs> one year when my daughter was little, we uh, and she had a tendency to get a lot of colds and flus and things and. I made a garlic vinegar, which I just took a bunch of garlic and, you know, papers and everything, just like crunched it all up and put it in a mason jar and then um, filled it almost to the top with apple cider vinegar, let it sit for about six weeks, and then we all did a quarter teaspoon of that once a day. Nobody got colds or flu that year. Did you have any friends, though? Are you smell pretty garlicky? <laughs> well, it's away unwanted suitors, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, no mosquito bites, for sure. That's awesome. You get all nope. your friends to do it, too. That's yeah, if they all do it, then it's okay, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, what about oscillococcinum? And I'm amazed I just oh, pronounced that right. You know, it's you see it at the checkout line at Whole Foods and other health food yeah, stores. Yeah, that's have another you, one. Okay, you've used that yeah. with success. Yeah, I have. I've sort of gotten onto using influenzinum, but... Mm-hmm. Um, the oscillococcinum is actually also very effective. And that one you take like three doses at the first sign of the flu. I think it's like every 12 hours. Mm-hmm. And my daughter has used that a fair bit, and she likes it. I've kind okay. of used the influenzinum. But that's the thing about naturopathic medicine. It's like, you know, I often tell my patients, like, listen, if this doesn't work, don't worry. I have lots and lots of other ideas. I have so many ideas, I can't even use them all. Yeah, exactly. I love that, too. We're not just treating a condition. We're treating you as an individual, and you get a very 
specific treatment plan compared to someone else who has the same exact symptoms. And even if you have a common cold or a flu, you're still going to get a very specific treatment. That's what I one thing I definitely love about it for sure. Um, yeah. I was I was checking out this website today, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. She's an osteopathic doctor who um, she specializes in in vaccines, and she's done tons of work. And I was looking up information on the flu shot and. I just wanted to read off the ingredients in a regular flu shot because it's very, very funky stuff. Um, for wow. one, is egg proteins, which that's a whole other topic in terms of a, you know, allergy issue. Um, gelatin, which can cause allergic reactions and anaphylaxis. Um, polysorbate 80 can cause severe allergic reactions, including anaphylaxis. It's been associated with infertility in female mice. Formaldehyde, which is a known carcinogen. Oh, Triton, gosh. yeah, I didn't know that one. Triton um, X. 100 is a strong detergent. There's sucrose, table sugar, resin, which is known to cause allergic reactions, gentamicin, an antibiotic, and then lastly, but not last, yeah, is dimerosol, which is mercury, and it's still in multi-dose flu shot vials. And I don't think people really realize that that they are getting you know mercury when they're taking their flu shots. So, you know, the thing is, is that. If it is effective, which the, the data on her site, it shows that even in, in just healthy adults, it, it reduces the risk, risk of influenza by 6%, only 6%, and reduces the number of missed work days by 0.16 day. It's not even a whole work day. And that's for healthy adults. So if you're looking at elderly and babies, it's, it wasn't effective in, in any age group, really. And, you know, you're, you're giving this ineffective substance that, has so many different toxins in it. It's like, this is just crazy. And, you know, it's so common. It's like, they might as well sell it at 7-Eleven. It's just everywhere. So yeah. it's you really got to, you know, people got to step outside, you know, think outside the box and really look at the information. And, and you know, it's it's a lot of peer pressure, really, and people feel very pressured to do this. But um, there are options. So just inform- it's in- important to know that the different options that are out there. And naturopathic medicine has so many different, like you're saying, alternatives for the flu that work really, really well and they're safe. Yeah. 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 I think if we used vaccines discriminately, it would be a different story. But, you know, mm-hmm. we're vaccinating for, you know, hangnails practically. And right. we're and, and plus, like you said, all the ingredients. And mm-hmm. you think about giving mercury to an infant or giving mercury to an elder who maybe you're already worried about their cognitive function and now you give them a neurotoxin. It's, you know, the thimerosal. It's crazy. And mm-hmm. formaldehyde. Yeah, formaldehyde is highly toxic. Right. You know, and I'm not, I'm not anti-vaccines by any means. I just, yeah, but it's it's looking at what the ingredients are and understanding the development of, a like, a baby's immune system and when they're ready to actually, when their immune system can actually handle that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I think it's a question of being uh, discriminating. Mm-hmm. In, in my practice... You know, I always recommended tetanus, for example, because it's in the soils and it's a really terrible disease. And, uh, you know, it's very common in the soil. If you get a puncture wound, it's, you know, and it gets any dirt in it at all, there's a good possibility of tetanus. So that makes sense. It's a serious mm-hmm. disease. It's present. But I don't recommend giving it at two months of age, which is the standard time. I suggest that when the child is up crawling around and likely to start, you know, be in a position of getting a puncture wound, but that's when to start getting the tetanus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, and then things like polio and diphtheria, oftentimes we'll have discussions about. But, you know, my own feeling is if there's a polio epidemic, it might make a lot of sense 
to give that vaccine. But if we're not seeing an epidemic of something of a, of a disease that's truly serious, then we have to really wonder why we're, you know, immunizing. It's you know a lot of these immunizations just aren't necessary right now. In fact, the polio vaccine, the oral vaccine for years and years, the when they were doing the oral vaccine, I think they've switched that now. But when they were doing the oral vaccine as the primary thing, the only cases for years and years were due to the oral vaccine because it was a live attenuated virus. Wow. Yeah, it's it's and autism, the link to autism is very, very strong. So mm-hmm. and a lot of the things I mean, this is a little off cold and flu, but it relates back to uh mm-hmm. you know, the vaccines generally. A lot of these things that we're vaccinating against, like chickenpox and measles and mumps and rubella those are childhood diseases that um, help to develop a child's immune system. And so, you know, they, we all grew up with that. And, you know, certainly there were the odd cases of encephalitis or pneumonia or whatever. But I actually, you know, we all had all those diseases, and I never knew anyone who had encephalitis. And I made it a point for years to ask people, did you have the measles when you were growing up? Did you ever know anybody that had a bad time? It took me years to find somebody who did. And that was a woman who was Native American, and the Native American population did have more problems with measles and so forth, and she ended up having some difficult problems with it. But Mm -hmm. it took me years to find, so why are we immunizing an entire population against a disease that for most of the time is innocuous and actually helps to develop the immune system? Instead, what we should be doing is looking at who are the populations that have problems and what can we do here, why is that happening in these populations? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's all risk versus and the benefit. Same thing is, yeah, and the same thing is true with the flu. Like, why is the flu so virulent? What's going on? You know, what's going on with the person's diet? There are way better ways to prevent disease than filling them full of uh, toxins. And Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that's a nice segue into diet. What What can be some – what's a way for a person to eat to – help their immune system to not get sick as often. And then once they are sick, what, what what are some ways that they should be eating? Well, you know, again, of course, as you know, that's very individual. But generally mm-hmm. speaking, <clears throat> I think you can safely say the more fresh fruit and vegetables, the better, and the more organic, the better. So um, fresh fruits and vegetables have, you know, if you read like plant literature, if you read about herbs and foods that are good for treating or preventing cancer, you know, I come away just thinking, wow, the more fresh fruits and vegetables, the better, and the more plants you get into your diet, the better. Mm-hmm. So uh, that generally could be said of just about everybody, that the benefits of plants, you know, as food are enormous, and a wide variety of vegetables and fresh fruits. Right. And then um, specifically these days, because we live in a pretty toxic world, the uh, as you know, the... Um, Herbs and foods that are dark colored, like the, um, purplish colored or really deep red colored, like uh, the dark grapes if they're organic, and blueberries and blackberries and beets are really specifically really good. Pomegranate, so many of those really foods are specifically really good for helping us to deal with toxins. Mm. So that's the main thing. And then adequate protein is really important. Protein sort of got a bad rap there for a while, and uh and it's you know vegetarianism was kind of like a fad for a while. It was really people were, um, but oftentimes vegetarian diets end up relying too much on soy, and too much on dairy for uh, for protein, which aren't always the best proteins, and too many carbohydrates often. And they're very and highly low- reactive for a lot of people too. So many different you know sensitivities to soy and um, to you know dairy products and even eggs. I mean. 
you know, it's very yeah. individualized, like you're saying. So, yeah, the occasional person certainly does well in a vegetarian diet, but most folks will do well with like, you know, good quality meats in their diet. Mm-hmm. You know, and that includes red meat. It's not just chicken, chicken and turkey and fish and and again, the more organic, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, and nuts and legumes and you know, if you're not sensitive to dairy, a bit of dairy in the in the diet, if especially if it's made from raw organic milk, is much better. And goat milk products tend to be more uh, less problematic for people than mm-hmm. cow's milk. Making sure the red meat is grass fed, it's grass finished, so the cow is eating grass their entire life, including their, the last month of their life. Which a lot of people don't know that if if a cow is grass fed, it, the last month can can be fed with you know grains or corn, and that fattens them up. And so that, yeah. that changes the composition of the meat. So the entire life is grass-fed, and that that meat's going to be a lot more anti-inflammatory than, say, you know, a cow that's been raised in a feedlot and eating, you know, corn and grains their whole life. It's very, you know, it's more inflammatory. So it's a big difference, you know, where where the food is actually coming from. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And then the corn and grain thing, grain thing is uh, even more of an issue now that we have the genetically modified foods. Because a lot of it, certainly the corn is very problematic in terms of being genetically modified, which then really changes the whole composition of the meat, and then that gets passed on to us. And those foods can be, those non-foods can be very mm-hmm. problematic. Yeah, and you know, it's 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 you know, there there actually is a connection with all this and colds and flus because if this is continually wearing down your body and your immune system on a regular basis, then you will be more prone to getting sick. So, you know, it seems like a stretch, but really what you put into your mouth every single day and in terms of your diet is very, um, you know, it's very, very much connected into how often you're going to be getting sick. So Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know you know, you've seen it. We've So many times people just come in, all we do is change their diet at the beginning. Yeah. And it's amazing how much better people, inflammation goes down, joint pain goes away, people start feeling much better, yeah. That's what I love about naturopathic medicine. You know, we take five semesters of of nutrition, and it's just, it makes so much sense to understand the fuel of the body because, you know, I don't care if you're coming in for ear infection, we're going to talk about your diet, you know, everything is all connected, so... Um, all connected, yeah. Once, once a person is sick, though, what what can they do diet-wise, or what should they not eat, or so they just not eat very much at all, or bone broths, or. Well, let me just backtrack to one more prevention thing, which is plenty of good quality water. Mhm. So yeah, and then that continues on once they start getting sick. Um, what would I do with diet once people are sick? The simpler, the better. So eating simple foods and easily digested foods is going to be much better. And that's going to vary some with different people depending on their sensitivities. And like I said, the dairy would go, and you know, sweets and, you know, rich desserts and all that stuff, which probably shouldn't be on the diet anyway. Those are definitely going to go once we're sick if we expect to get better quickly. And then eating really simple things like broths and, um, you know, uh, like the Beeler broth we talked about, potatoes and if, if you're not sensitive to potatoes, potatoes and a little onion and carrot and uh, celery and some zucchini and really simple. And some people will do well fasting. If people do well fasting, just fasting on like some nettles tea and uh mm-hmm. and uh you know juices like diluted juices and that sort of thing. And then chicken soup of course is a big famous one. Mm-hmm. And, and homemade chicken soup. A can of chicken soup is not quite the same as, you know, mom's homemade chicken soup. And well chicken soup is really rich in a whole bunch of things. It's got the 
you know, the carrots in there, and it's all in that broth. You get so, it's like sort of like a, a medicinal tea. When mm-hmm. putting lots of onions and garlic in, and onions and garlic are fabulous for uh, for colds and flu. So simple Absolutely. things like that. And I um, do recommend actually um, mixing the different kinds of soups. Like I, one year I had a couple people that I thought that the flu had gotten into their gallbladder, and it turns out according to Chinese medicine that um, chicken and poultry is hard on the gallbladder. And what had happened was both these people had a propensity to you know, mild gallbladder issues, and they did tons and tons and tons of chicken soup, really taking care of themselves and ended up irritating their gallbladder. So what I recommend is people have any kind of liver gallbladder, you know, sensitivity that, you know, doing other broths as well. Like mm-hmm. you could do miso soup if you're not sensitive to soy, you can get good organic miso so that you're not worried about genetically modified uh, foods or doing like a beef broth so that you're kind of varying it and still getting lots of onions and garlic in there. Mhm. Absolutely. I want to throw out the call call in line if anyone wants to call and ask a question. It's 818-495-6919. 818-495-6919. Um okay, let's see. Are we done with diet? I think we're done with diet. I was just going to ask you if you had anything to add. Um well, I'm I'm a fan of bone broth. To be honest with you, I haven't made a bone broth myself, but I've recommended it to patients and they absolutely love it. Oh, with so, the vinegar in it? Yeah. Yeah, just really yeah, that's a great minerals idea. from the bone. And um, for those who don't eat a lot of meat, it might sound kind of funky, but, you know, there's so many different minerals um, that are in the bones. When you when you cook them with, the, with the, the vinegar, it just pulls those right into the broth and you're drinking that down, and it's just so many minerals that people are deficient in, so it really helps when you're, when you're not feeling well. And how much vinegar do you put in the bone broth? I don't know. Probably not very much. I, I honestly don't know. I've never made it myself. I give them a handout. <laughs> One of those things I need to I know, try. I I'd have to look it up. I've been, yeah. I just almost bought some bones to make some bone broth the other day. And I, mm-hmm. yeah. I usually buy it and then it goes bad in my fridge, and I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> it's very I think common. it's that not happens. much vinegar. I think it's like a couple of tablespoons, but I'd have to look it up. Yeah, I'd have to look I'm it sure up you can well. find it online. You can find anything online now. Mm-hmm. Um, now let's talk about just some some specific conditions. So, like maybe for sore throats, what are some natural things that people can do for sore throats? Well, one thing is the warming throat wrap. It's very comforting. You take a, a cold wash, you take a washcloth and you get it icy cold again. Wring it out really, really well, and you put it on the throat, and then you wrap a scarf around it, like a wool scarf or something that's not going to absorb the water, and mm-hmm. just wear it all day. And as it gets warm, you can take it off for a bit and then put it on again, or you can wear it. Uh, overnight, just to bed, and that's mm-hmm. very helpful. The first time I did that, it felt like I put Vicks Vapor Rub all over my neck. It felt so powerful. Um, so that's a real simple thing. And the old, you know, thing of gargling with salt water is very helpful. Salt water is an astringent; it'll pull some of the mucus out of there, and that can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. And other than that, you know, we haven't talked about echinacea. We've talked about all these things that we haven't even talked about. Mostly, we've talked about what you can get out of your kitchen. But echinacea is one of the things I think about, and I actually have people like, <coughs> excuse me, when I give them, talk about sore throats and like, when I give people echinacea, I usually have them like dilute it like in uh, a tablespoon or a, about an ounce of water, and then take it and gargle it. And that actually is kind of numbing, and then it actually coats the throat, and that can be helpful too. And then it, if it persists, or if it's a strep throat, 
we have people come in and there's, you know, way more things that we can do. Homeopathic medicine is very powerful for that sort of thing. So what would be some uh, specific things for strep throat? Well, echinacea actually is right at the top, right mm-hmm. again. And um, homeopathically, we look at two homeopathics. One is mercurius and the other one is homeopathic lachesis. They're probably the two most common remedies if people know homeopathy. Okay. Strep um, throat. I had very, very chronic uh, strep throat when I was in high school. It was just like it seemed like, you know, once a month or even a, it was like a couple times a month I got strep throat. And when I started using um, the MEM tincture, it's Mahonia, Echinacea, Myrrh, and Phytolacca, uh-huh. that, I, I stopped getting strep throat. It was amazing. I, I started to heal up my gut and started using, and you know, different herbs that were healing up the mucous membranes in my gut because I had a lot of gut issues at the time and using probiotics to heal that, that, that balance of the bacteria. It's hard to see that they actually are connected because, like I said earlier, it's the mucous membranes. It's all one continuum of the same tube, yeah. really. And then I started using this tincture with memph, and, and you can change out the Mahonia for um, hydrastis as well. Um, but that was very, very helpful. It's very antimicrobial and... Um, you know, it soothes the pain. The myrrh really soothes the pain, and it was really incredible. I didn't have the pain anymore, and yeah, it tastes awful. Like you really have to get used to that taste because it will, it will, it will Echinacea shake you. Bad, <laughs> but Oregon grape is bad, which is the Mahonia. Yeah. Uh huh. But myrrh, it's amazing how well it works. Mm-hmm. And then Phytolacca is the poke root from the south. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, that's usually what I give people in the office if they can get a hold of those herbs. And a lot of times, instead of the phytolacca these days, I use calendula. And mm-hmm. uh, because calendula, I have them gargle it if I mix all those herbs together. And I usually use echinacea, golden seal, which is the, is the hydrastis that you mentioned. Or you can use organ grape, uh, which is the mahonia that you mentioned. And myrrh and calendula, and I have them mix it like in an ounce of water and gargle it. And all of those herbs are really good topically, so... And then they gargle and swallow. Yeah. Oh, that's a neat story. That's yeah. good to hear. Yeah. yeah, it's very cool, and it's it's been the same same experience with a couple of my friends who who had some chronic strep throat. So it's very cool stuff. Um, okay, now what about a cold that goes to the lungs? Um, yeah, that's when people really need to come in. When it goes mm-hmm. to the lungs, I really recommend that people get because. Boy, those, especially like if it's the flu, it can go on and on. And a lot of these flus, people are sick for six weeks. So mm-hmm. if they're not getting it over really over it really quickly, I recommend that they come in. There are lots of things that people can do. Again, the hot lemon, lemon thing, I'll have people doing that. I will often then be looking at a specific homeopathic remedy for a person, and that's going to vary with people. But what people can do at home is there's any huge number of herbs Mullen, simple mullen is probably one of my favorites. And um, gosh, there are so many mullen and grindelia and balsam root and uh, yerba mansa and uh, slippery elm or marshmallow root is even better. Um, yeah, elderberry again. And another thing that just the list goes on and on. Um, and then or Asclepius, which is uh, pleurisy root. Some people really like that. And uh, elecampane goes on and on. So there's so many herbs. And the other thing people can do is do an old-fashioned mustard plaster. And uh, what you do is you take some just kitchen mustard. It's nice to get the medicinal stuff, but you just powdered mustard, mustard seed, like you get at the grocery store to use in cooking. And if you don't have the mustard powder on hand, you can use ginger, powdered ginger. 
and you mix it, one, you make a paste and you make one part of the mustard or the ginger and two parts of like flour or flaxseed or something like that, anything to just kind of mix with it and you make a paste. And then you take a cookie sheet and you put it in the oven and uh, and just heat it just a little bit. And then you take the, uh, and you have a uh, piece of like a um, dish dish towel or something about the, something about the size of a dish towel, some kind of uh, not too thick cloth, like terry cloth might be a little too thick, but but um, some kind of a thin towel like a dish towel, and it should be twice the size of the chest. And you put it on the uh, cookie sheet, and then you rub the paste on it, and then you fold it in half like a sandwich. So you rub the paste on half of it, fold the other piece of cloth over. And then you put some olive oil on the chest and you put that on the chest and, you know, go good with a bunch of covers. And that oftentimes when nothing else has worked for uh, a cough, when I'm not getting the right homeopathic remedy because homeopathy has to be exactly the right remedy, um, the mustard plaster just almost never fails me. It's mm. fabulous for cough. And then breathing lots of steam and people can put essential oils in or just oftentimes I'll have people do a tea and I'll put either peppermint or thyme in the tea, which are really good uh, plants that have a lot of essential oils and are both also good for cough. Mm-hmm. And you have them, while the tea is too hot to drink, I'll have them just breathe in the steam of the tea mm-hmm. and really breathe deeply into their lungs. And just deep breathing is really, really good for the lungs Are you doing well. drops of the oil, or are you actually putting the actual herb into the, the water and heating that up? I just use the herbs myself. Mm-hmm. Certainly, okay. put drops of essential oil. Sometimes people will do steams and put eucalyptus in and just breathe that the essential oils. You can do the same thing with peppermint oil. Mm-hmm. And peppermint oil is anti-spasmodic. I've used it for asthma, for acute asthma. Put it in the vaporizer. Actually, in the whole room, it smells like candy canes, <laughs> and then it doesn't wake up. Yeah, and the wow. person doesn't wake up quite as asthmatic. It's really mm-hmm. a nice bronchodilator. So, the, yeah, the options go on and on. Mm-hmm. What about for um, chronic sinus infections or even acute sinus infections? You mentioned the uh, doing the horseradish. Is there anything else that you recommend? Um, there's another herb called yerba monsa. Did I say? I think I said yerba santa, be, yerba monsa before. <laughs> yeah, they're two Pop different herbs, yerba right? Yerba santa. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yerba monsa, it's, uh, I'm, I've seen it down in the southwest in Arizona, and it's um, fabulous for sinus stuff. And so, and again, stopping dairy is going to be really critical for people with sinusitis. That seems to be just really across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, and yerba monza, usually yerba monza, half yerba monza and half uh, horseradish. And I'll have people put it directly on the tongue so they get that horseradish effect. And if mm-hmm. it's really like they come in with a flaring acute sinusitis, I'll have people uh, do like 60 drops up to like eight or ten times a day. And usually they don't have to do that much, and it really helps to get it on the run. Okay. And then if they tend to get it chronically, again, stopping dairy and obviously looking at everything else, like you keep saying, the digestion is really critical. Mm-hmm. And um, looking at, you know, wh- how their diet is, what kind of toxins they're exposed to in their environment, and allergens often. And then uh, the interesting thing about the yerba monza is it's antimicrobial, antibacterial, uh, might be antiviral. I'm not remembering off the top of my head, but it is also antifungal. And a lot of chronic sinusitis now is thought to be antifungal. They're really finding that a lot of these are antifungal, mm-hmm. possibly from being overtreated by antibiotics. Mhm. Yep. Definitely seeing a lot of that for sure. 
Um, what about chronic ear infection? Mm-hmm. Hold on, I'm not done. Okay, <laughs> I knew it. There's more. Responding. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's also hydrotherapy treatments that you can do for sinuses, mm-hmm. and uh, and then uh, if they're not responding to simple home things, homeopathy is usually really powerful. And we haven't talked about Chinese medicine because I don't do Chinese medicine, but that's another whole thing mm-hmm. that a lot of times Chinese practitioners have options for. And uh, should we talk about the uh, sinus sinus hydrotherapy treatment? Yeah. Do you know that one? Um, you're just, is it just alternating hot and cold to the sinuses? Yeah, uh, like I have people have like a little bowl of hot water as hot as they can stand it, and usually they have a kettle of water that they've boiled on the stove next, sitting next to them, so they can freshen up the heat if they if hot if they need to. And they have two washcloths in the hot and one in the cold, and usually there's ice cubes in the cold. And you put the hot right over the one wa- one hot washcloth right over the sinuses for about three minutes. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the three minutes, you uh, take the other hot one and exchange them and then immediately go to the cold, wring it out really, really well, and take the hot off and put the cold on. And you go back and forth as many times, uh, you know, as you can sit there and do it, but at least three to five cycles. And um, and oftentimes it really increases circulation in there and relieves pressure. And my patients have told me that when they do it with a hot foot bath, it works much better. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's drawing as well, drawing down as well as increasing circulation. So it draws the congestion down, and then the hot and cold get circulation. The hot brings the circulation in, and the cold brings it, you know, causes the uh, vessels to constrict. And so you get this pumping action where the blood is coming and going, so the blood can mm-hmm. bring nutrients in and, you know, take toxins out and really get circulation moving through there. Mm-hmm. And there's neti pots as well. Neti pots are great. Yeah. Oh, yeah, neti pots, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And there's, um, you can just one. Google neti pots on YouTube, or, you know, you can Google it or put it on YouTube, and you can find instructions of how, exactly how to do it just for the sake of time. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, popular. let's talk about ear infections. That's a really common thing that parents have to deal with with their children. What's What are some things to remember with that? Well, a lot of times kids who are getting frequent colds or uh, respiratory things or ear infections, we really need to look at sensitivities, food sensitivities and digestion a lot of times. And uh, I know my grandson was getting sick quite a lot, and he loved at mommy beans. And we took him off soy, and he had terrible digestion. He's just he's just three now, so he was like about a year old, and, you know, his uh, stools should have been getting more formed, and they weren't, and he was gassy a lot, and he was sick all the time, constantly getting ear infections, just taking him off soy. And if he even gets a little bit of soy sauce, boy, he's got another ear infection. So mm-hmm. his mom keeps him off soy. So, you know, dairy isn't the only culprit, and a lot of times we have to individualize. But looking at soy and gluten and dairy are a lot of times the top ones that parents can look at in a child's diet. Mm-hmm. You know, making sure a child's eating really well. And if, if children like sweets, feed them blueberries. Um, you know, so you can keep them off sweets. You can often substitute other things like apples and Blueberries. Blueberries are fabulous. Again, blackberries, all those different kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Fresh fruit. And then what about the garlic drops, too? The yeah. Oil? And, mm-hmm. yeah, there are, like, garlic oils, and oftentimes they're mixed with a little bit of mullein you can, that are out on the market, and just putting a few drops in the ear can be very comforting. Mm-hmm. I did that once, and it was it was amazing. I had, a, I had an earache for the first time in my life, and I used that, and it was gone, like, immediately. It was really, really cool. Wow. 
see if I have any other questions. We have five minutes left. It went by so fast. I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I don't know if we have enough content, but we just, yeah, it was great. A lot of of stuff to go over. Um, Is there anything else that you can think of that you'd like to um, mention that could be helpful for those at home to to use or to remember when getting sick, anything they can maybe make at home or anything at all that you can think of? Oh, not off the top of my head. Yeah, I think we've gone over a lot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's great. I'm so glad that you came on the show. It was it was just so informative, and um, I think that especially parents will have a lot of things to consider with their kids. And, you know, people really want to be able to do this, do this stuff at home, but they just don't know how, or maybe they're just afraid that, you know, it, it might get too serious and that they can't try things at home. But really, you know, you have to be your own best doctor and, and know when to go see a doctor, but there's so many different things to do at home that can be really powerful and, and, and very gentle, too. Well, yeah, and a lot of our grandparents used to know all these little tricks. It's like exactly too dependent on doctors. There's so many, yeah, mm-hmm. so many simple things that we can do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. You have an awesome night, Dr. Francis. Thank you, Dr. Doyle. Yeah. Thank you. Nice talking to you. Yeah, you I too. We'll I'll talk, talk to you soon. soon. Bye. Okay. Bye bye. All right, that was a great show. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. And um, next week, same time, same day, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Ron Hoffman, medical doctor out in uh, New York. And um, then the following week, we'll be chatting with Dr. Um, Carrie Jones about fertility and sex. So stay tuned. Thanks so much for uh, listening in, and I'll see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. North Pole Hotline, help! My in-laws are hosting Thanksgiving, and we're bringing the dressing. You mean stuffing? No, dressing. I need cute outfits for everyone. Get to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's kicking off the holidays with stylish denim, velvet tops, the season's best dresses, and 40% off your entire purchase now through Tuesday. 40% off? We'll be stuffing our shopping bags full. And don't forget colorful sweaters and amazing outerwear, too. You can even buy online and pick up in store for free. Ooh, I love an all-you-can-wear buffet. Holiday your heart out at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1118 to 1120. Exclusion supply. See stores for details. North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10.